Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways you can address them when you're short of time. I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is managing the unknown. People struggle with unknown situations because they can't rely on their experience to guide their thoughts, actions, and behavior. They just don't know what to do. This can lead to fight, flight, or freeze behavior where survival is the only goal. So how do you be your best when faced with situations that are completely new to you? My guest today is Greg Brown. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Phil. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks for being here. Greg has spoken to CEOs and prisoners, nuns and entrepreneurs, associations, governments, Fortune 500 companies, and everything in between. What do they all have in common? They are people and organizations that feel passionate about increasing their impact, creating positive change, and making a difference in the world. In addition to leading numerous change and educational initiatives, Greg has been featured internationally in numerous media outlets and until recently was often found on a plane heading to speak to diverse audiences around the world. He holds a master's degree from the University of Leicester in the UK with a focus on organizational psychology, leadership, and performance, and is an associate member of the American Psychological Association. Greg is also the author of Ready, Set, Change Again, and the Top 10 Change Hacks. Greg, what has been your experience with managing the unknown? Well, Phil, it's such a timely question to ask going through this pandemic. And I would say I'm not the only expert, and I use that in quotes, on the planet and dealing with the unknown. I'd say every single person listening to this has become probably an expert at managing the unknown because they've been going through this pandemic, which in my lifetime has been probably the largest thing that I have seen so far, where all of us are, you know, to use that old metaphor, in the same boat together. We're really having to focus on the micro instead of the macro, because most of the macro, meaning everything from today or next week forward, is unknown. Certainly. And and what does the micro mean for you? Because as you say, everyone is in the same boat, and it's forced to really look down close near in to manage through to get to the other side. Well, micro for me means what are the things that I have control over? What are the pieces that I have influence over? You know, at the start of the pandemic, I was, you know, looking at the news every morning and and most of us have the news, you know, it's outside of our control. And just like in organizational life, when we focus our energies on issues that are out of control, it demotivates us. We lose energy, we can't focus. And that's what was happening to me at the beginning. Many, many people I've spoken to over the last few months I've really heard that in order for us to get through a change like what we're going through with the pandemic or through organizational change that might have a negative impact on us or or might have a future that we're uncertain of, that we really need to bring our focus into, you know, that daily, what do I have focus of control over? And for me, that means my thinking, my thoughts, which drive my behaviors, which drive my actions, which of course, and the outcome of my actions is, you know, my place in the world, on the planet, and in my work and my life. And, And how does that relate to sort of large change initiatives. I know you've led many, you've supported many teams doing so. Could you say the same thing about someone working through a transformation that's completely new to them? 
Absolutely. You know, one of the beliefs I have about change and, you know, my thinking has been formulated after going through what we've all gone through on the planet recently is that we're all apprentices to change, meaning we never master it. You know, I used to lead a workshop years ago on mastering change. And, you know, I think it's a bunch of hogwash now that we don't really ever master it. You know, we really are constantly learning. And I think as leaders, and I use that term you know, to refer to anyone that has to lead some sort of initiative through their organization. So you could be an HR advisor, it could be the CEO, anything in between, or it could be the frontline admin professionals to get something done, is that as leaders, we lead alongside our teams during change. You know, we're experiencing the same as what our team members are. And, you know, from a leadership perspective, you know, sometimes we're leaders at the front with that vision, you know, sort of pulling people through, hopefully. Sometimes we're leaders at the back as that quiet bulldozer, you know, guiding people through. And yet I think with change, especially large-scale organizational change and, and you know, M&As, merger and acquisitions, transformations, we're leading alongside because reality is we have no clue what the outcome is going to be. Yes, we hope it's going to look this way, but managing the unknown is all about managing your own uncertainty as you go through this. And as a leader, you have to do that before you do it with your team because I believe change starts internally and starts with us. Do you find, you know, that I think that is sort of very progressive view in the mm -hmm. sense that we're all apprentices. And, and I'm also conscious of sort of the standard view of the, the leader's role is to have all the answers and mm -hmm. she or he is going to lead at the front always. And, yeah. and even, you know, perhaps you've had this circumstance too, where the leader feels that they actually know everything about change and they act accordingly. Do you have a story around that where they actually think that they've been the master of change and they're going to be a master again in the one that they're working through now? Well, I have a story that reflects that I've done related to that. I'd say about 20 years ago, I was leading a change initiative in an organization. And part of the change involved doing a big, large-scale education and development initiative through senior leaders in the organization. You know, even 20 years ago, I'd planned probably tons of those. I knew what I was doing. I thought I was a master at it. The whole thing was ready to go. And I'd engaged all my stakeholders. I'd got the buy-in. I'd got everything was going to print to advertise these sessions that were going to support the change in this. And I get a call from the head of finance going, why is so-and-so doing the session on finance and we aren't? Well, let's just say that was a ton of bricks in the face. And I'm like, um, I thought we consulted you on that. And they're like, no. Well, let's just say that through a whole boulder at my change initiative. So, Everything that was going to print ended up being stalled for six months. Wow. How come? Because I was a dope and did not include the right people in my stakeholder analysis and in the engagement part. I completely overlooked the head of finance. <laughs> You know, in reflection, and, and all of us as leaders do this, you know, it seems like, oh, that was a no-brainer. Yet, every single person listening here knows that when we're under pressure... We don't think as clearly. Why? Because our brain is engaged differently. And we know that from all the neuroscience that I know don't need to go into now. Thinking under pressure, we think differently. 
And I was under pressure to get this out. Like every single person listening here is under pressure. And I learned, you know, at that moment that I can't, it's not about the answers that I have as a leader. It's about the quality of the questions that I ask. And I did not ask the right questions to build that out. Or someone would have flagged to me, because I, I don't expect myself to have all the answers, even though back then I did. Someone would have said, you know, you really need to make sure you talk to the financial officer to ensure that they're engaged in this. I mean, I'd forgotten, but it was a very costly. It probably cost, I'm going to guess, $150,000 to postpone that for six months. Right. That's a costly error. I wasn't fired for that, and they wouldn't have, because, you know, things happen. But... It was a good lesson learned. I know you write a lot about co-creation. Uh, can you tell more about the, the whole co-creation sort of belief of leaders are really there to create an environment where people create their own realities going forward? Well, I think, you know, what I believe about co-creation is this, is that under change, you know, we're leaders leading alongside our teams and we don't have all the answers. And it really is all about the questions and it's about being able to play in that ambiguity. And if you think about what we're going through with COVID-19, you know, we're all being called upon to create a new story for ourselves, as well as our organizations, as well as the planet. Now, the story that we're creating ourselves doesn't happen just with us alone. The story that we create with our organization doesn't happen alone. Certainly, the story we create for the planet does not happen alone. So for me, that co-creation is about when we're working with teams on whether it's large-scale transformations or smaller projects or change initiatives in an organization, we're in it together. And we are trying to co-create a successful outcome whatever that may be. And that's the way I think co-creation. You know, co-creation, you know, can be, you know, I'm going to delegate this to someone, but eventually it comes back and there's a symbiosis or a synergy that happens that creates that change, that outcome. And, and you know, to have that symbiosis happen, you really need to be present and, and have that understanding of presence and what it means to be, you know, 100% there with your team. You need to have some wisdom around that. And you have to have discernment and judgment and you have to take action. You know, there's sort of those are the my sort of four pillars or lack of a better word that I say, you know, really need to happen for change to be created. Because co-creation is about you, know, you still have your organizational goal, you know, and there's still, but we're coming together as a group to make it happen. And I believe that's when we're leading alongside. We, we can't believe we are out at the front because you mentioned this at the beginning about the unknown is that we need to let go of the reality that is predictable. If we, if we don't let go of the reality that is predictable, we don't have innovation. If we don't let go of the reality that is predictable, we're not able to think about what can we actually create in the unknown. Because when we're in the unknown, that's when the magic happens. But it takes a lot of guts to go forward without your notes. And, and I know you, you've talked about it being a skill to be able to do so. Can you tell us more about that skill of being able to move forward when you don't have the answer and, mm. and what it takes to be, able, to be fortified to do that in a, in a strong way? So there's a couple of pieces around that. One is, and I mentioned this before, getting away from believing you have to know the answer. I think during change, and I know as leaders, 
and I can certainly speak for myself. I'm in my role or I'm in change because I want to make a difference and I want to help people. And I think that by helping people means when they come to me, I have to give them the answers or I have to make their life better in some way. Yet, if one of my stakeholders comes to me or a team member and says, you know, I'm really busy and I don't know how I'm going to do this, and I just ignore it, or I try to solve the problem for them, they might not be engaged in that change. You know, I used to have on the wall of uh, my office many years ago, and I used to tell my team it was for them, but it was actually for me. That's how good a leader I am. I like to blame my team members. <laughs> the three questions on the wall were this. Do you want me to solve it? Do you want me to help you solve it? Or do you want me to just listen? Now, team, that was to guide team members when they came into my office. It was really to guide me. So what do you think team members wanted me to do most of the time? Just listen. It sounds wonderful if, if that's, uh, I, I would have defaulted to solving the, the problem uh, no, correctly. Team, member, team members, nine times out of 10, want, came to me because they wanted me to just listen. So what did I want to do? I wanted to solve the problem. So getting comfortable with, you know, we're leading people down the path of change and all those barriers come up. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I'm running out of money. You know, the scope has changed, blah, blah, blah. To move people down the path of change, we think we need to remove those barriers. Yet what we know and what I have practiced and experienced is that just by acknowledging the barriers moves people down the path of change. I can't make you less busy. I can't take your work away. I can't help you with this. However, what I can do is get together and hear about what it is. And if there's a lot of crap going on, I would often recommend to change leaders, spend the first five minutes of your meeting getting all the crap on the table and just be clear you can't solve it. Acknowledge it. Hey, I hear it's crappy and we need to do this. And when one of your books, I, I love the line, you said, uh, no situation requires the same approach. Mm -hmm. But is there a process, let's say you are the leader, you're facing sort of a, a point in the transformation where you have no clue where it's going, as, as most are at this point in our lives now. Is there a process or a steps that you would, you would recommend to take the unknown and make it a bit more known so that you can move forward as you mentioned? I like to get really clear because when we're in the unknown, a lot of what I would say is emotional stuff will come up, like that fear of the unknown, uncertainty. Because as humans, we want to predict the future. You know, that's why we, you know, read our astrology every morning and that's why we do tarot cards or crystals, whatever people do. That's also why we do strategic plans and change management plans. They're the tarot cards of business. They tell us what we want the future to hold. Yet just like tarot cards and astrology, sometimes those change management plans don't come out the way we want them to. And that's where the unknown comes in. So I think it's getting very clear about balancing the emotional response with what the facts are. What do we have control over? What do we have influence over? What do we have actually, what's going on? I also think the next piece to that is to unhook yourself from the belief that you have to know what the outcome is to make a decision. You know, many of us want to have all the answers and our I's dotted and T's crossed when we make decisions. What we've learned in the last few months is sometimes you have to make decisions even when you don't have all the answers. And to me, that's, that's another piece of it. The other step that I would tell people that's probably 
I would almost say the most important is as you're, you know, going through the life cycle of this is rigorously managing your expectations and other people's expectations of what's actually going on in your change. And managing expectations doesn't mean you have to tell people the answers. It might be, I don't know what the answer is. And, and when you don't know what the answer is and they don't know what the answer is, that still moves people down the path of change. It's when they expect that you have an answer that they don't that that starts to slow down the process. And, and it's a very different culture to say, you know, we'll make decisions with the you know, time horizon that we can, but we don't necessarily know exactly where this is going. That's a pretty big leap from what we're taught in business. How do you make that leap? Well, I would say I would look back to times. I always like to look for evidence or proof of past successes. So when you find evidence or proof of the past, and it doesn't need to be exact, it can be similar. When you find evidence or proof, it removes doubt. And when you remove doubt, you give people courage to step into that change. So let me give you an example of that. Back in 2008, 2009, when we had that last recession or market crash. Wherever you lived in the world, it might have been called something different here in Canada. I think we called it a recession. Organizations that did one, three, and five-year strategic plans all of a sudden were doing three-month plans. So while we think that may not be a natural way of doing business, I can tell you any business that went through that recession back then was making decisions on a bi-monthly, tri-monthly basis. It was rapid and fast because things were changing on the dime. You were making decisions quicker and based upon the best information you had at the time. And I would say and argue that every single one of us is doing that now, given this current state of the world. So while it might seem foreign in a traditional business context, I would say in practice, it is much more real and, and happens much more than we maybe think it does. So why do you think, I do remember that time and, and survival, you know, staying alive, keeping your revenue going, all of those, you know, clear and present challenges uh, were there. And, and I remember that the short time frame and, and sort of the command centers, if you remember, and, you know, yeah. Daily updates, yet most organizations went back to the traditional three year plan or, or longer once that challenge was over. What, what do you think is going on there? Because we, we realize the importance and now we've per- potentially forgotten it. Well, I would say that it's important to have a good three year plan. I would also say that, you know, this is my experience with strategic planning and change plans. And I've facilitated a lot of those processes, as I'm sure you have, is that we do the plan and then it sits on the shelf. And for a plan to really work, it has to be lived. So whether it's a change plan, a project plan, or a strategic plan, it needs to be used. What's the purpose otherwise, unless we're looking daily or weekly and monthly to see if what the actions we're doing is leading us towards that goal? Because we all know it's the magic of daily habits that create the biggest change. And it's the same in business or your personal life. It doesn't matter. So I think, again, let's just look at what happened with COVID. You know, there are organizations I know that would normally have taken one to probably two years to plan to have 50,000 of their staff work virtually. Most organizations that I know made that happen in three weeks. So while we think that we can't do it, I would say there's lots of evidence that we can. Yeah, I think, you know, I do think you still need to have a plan. But what we're going through now, what's so great about it, 
and I don't mean this to negate anyone that's been ill or who has passed away or who's experienced hardship related to this, and there are many people that have. One of the good things about this, though, is that all of us are coming through this with a new set of change muscles we didn't know we had. I can tell you, there's businesses now are like, I can't believe we made everybody virtual in three weeks. I can't believe we're running our organization like this. I can't believe we're delivering food like this. I can't believe we're serving our customers or our clients like this. I never thought we'd ever do this. Yet the good thing is we're developing all these new qualities, skills, and practices that we're going to be able to apply to tons of different change initiatives going forward. How hard can a merger and acquisition be after doing this? If we can get through this, what else can my team not do? And you talk about the new muscles that have been developed, but to continue that metaphor, if you don't mm -hmm. exercise the muscles, you atrophy and it's mm -hmm. as if you didn't develop them. How do you embed this new understanding and, and new abilities? Well, I think the longer we're in it, the longer it embeds. You know, as we know, you know, with the research around mindsets, your know, mindsets are not just some, you know, woo-woo thing out there. They're really that set of neural connections in our prefrontal cortex. And we know that when those neurons fire together and create deeper neural pathways, it deepens the groove in our brain of these behaviors. So I think the longer that we're in this, the more those patterns will be ingrained. I also think that, and this is just my belief, we won't be going back to any normal. I think we're going to be at a new normal 2.0 and then a new normal 3.0. And I don't know what that means or what it looks like, but I'm prepared for that unknown. You know, I'm managing my own expectations by going, it's going to be a new normal 2.0 and a 3.0. I don't know what that looks And I think by playing in that ambiguity on a daily basis, which all of us are doing, you know, the more we practice playing in that ambiguity on a smaller basis, it builds those change muscles. So when we become to the bigger ones, it builds it in. And yet, I think for it to be ingrained in our organizations and businesses, we need to find a systemic way to embed it. You know, and I go back to what we started talking about is, you know, what is the new story we want to create? You know, there is this convergence of events happening on the planet at this moment that is forcing us to think about who we are as people and how we work, how our, who we are as people in our families, who we are as countries, who we are as organizations, who are the people we serve, and how do we want to be on this planet? And I think this, this larger story is calling all of us to think differently. And I would bet anything, anyone listening to it, to this podcast, has gone through that search of going, this is the difference with this change than any other change we've gone through. It's impacted us on multiple, multiple levels and, and hit us at our basest fears. And yet the opportunity for us not to minimize all the crappy stuff that goes with this, because there's a lot. I miss my old life. The opportunity here is for us to think about what do we need to do differently and how can we do it differently? And in the spirit of focusing on, on a few things that will give the best results, I'm wondering if you were in a forced choice of not having a lot of time, the unknown is in front of you, kind of what's that one thing that you would do that would give you sort of the 80% results in 20% of the time, given that time is, is rare and, and short? What would that be for you? 
Well, I've been stuck many times under pressure to get something done, whether it's because of money or time or the scope of something has shifted or, you know, the president wants it done faster, you know, whatever the reason. And the number one thing that I would recommend and, and that's worked for me is I take a step back and I look at my group who I'm trying to engage in the change, whether it's an individual or a group of people, and I ask the question, what do they need to think, be, feel, or do to engage in this change. Get into the mind of your change target of the individual or group and find out what do they need to be, have, or do, or feel to get engaged. Most of us come from our perspective, and it's great that you have your change management plan and all that stuff, but it's how we lead our teams from A to B that are going to make the biggest success for us as change leaders. And when I'm under pressure, it's like, what do they need to know? What do they need to be? What do they need to feel? So it is feeling, and I don't mean let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I mean, it's like, what's the passion I need to ignite in them that's gonna make this happen? And that might not be the question I ask about a Microsoft implementation or a, something else, but if it is about a merger or an acquisition or a new way of doing business, you know, that might be something I look at. For me, what, what I find is that when people are, are caught in unknown situations or I am, what, what can they hold on to and, and mm -hmm. sort of what information they know, what do they need to know? Because without, and this is one of your earlier comments, without action, we're not moving forward and, and potentially can emotionally move back. So what do we know? What do we need to know? And that co-created sort of solution going forward, and it might not be the end state, but at least it's getting us a little bit further. Just as we close off this show, is there sort of one thing that you want to share to the learners and, and to the listeners to say, hey, you know, this might be a watch out to consider, or here's an insight, or hey, you might just want to remember this from our conversation. What would that be? Well, I would say to really step into that apprentice mindset and remember that as apprentices to change, you know, we need to have discernment, we need to have compassion, we need to realize that we don't have all the answers and that it is an art as well as a science and that when we're asked to build our change muscles encounter by encounters and situation by situation, that's where we're really going to develop those practices and skills we need to lead change because that is what's going to create the story for the new world world of ourselves and the organization and the people that we work with is that ability to really ask the right questions as we go through these changes. So well said. Greg, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, how can people get in contact with you? Well, the best way is probably through my website, which is www.greg, that's G-R-E-G-G, -G, brown, like the color, gregbrown.ca, where they can reach me through LinkedIn. I think we're connected, Phil and I, so go to Phil's LinkedIn and you can connect with me through there. Tremendous. I highly recommend connecting with you. You've got so much to share. You're so generous. Greg, thanks so much. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Charlie Buckley. And thank you, the listener. And if you have any questions or comments, please email me at phil at changewithconfidence.com. And for upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Change on the Run podcast. And please write a review if you have the time. So until the next time, I wish you the best as you continue to lead change. 